morning everyone, it's Grant here and we're carrying on with our In Durban As It Is In Heaven series today. And I really hope you enjoyed Robert's message last week on a process of renewal. I think he's been a real gift to us over the last couple of weeks. And I hope that as we have been going through this series, that God is starting to fill you with a vision of what gospel renewal looks like in our city and also the role that you can play in that. And today we're going to be carrying on this series with a message on the gospel and justice. And words like justice and social justice and others have really become buzzwords in the church and outside of the church over the last couple of years. And at the same time, social justice and some of the movements that are flowing out of it are really filling up our news feeds and social media feeds at the moment. I'm sure you've noticed this, but whether it's protests or marches or statues being torn down, whether it's around Black Lives Matter or Fees Must Fall or Me Too, whether it's around state capture or corruption or land reappropriation or farm murders, it seems like justice has been and continues to be both a huge talking point and a huge driving force for change in our country and world. Now, as a church and inside of Harbour City, we could land on different points around these different movements. But at the same time, even if we disagree about the way these movements should go forward or the way justice should be pursued, all of us, Christian and non-Christian, deeply desire justice in our city, in our country, and our world. And my goal this morning is not to get into each one of these individual issues, to share my hot take on them, but rather I want to give you a big picture vision of biblical justice today and to look at how God has invited us and called us to join him in his work of justice in our world. Now, as we start this this morning, if you are sitting there and going, oh, okay, Grant, I get it. Justice matters. Thanks for talking about this. I care, you know, yay, justice. But at the same time, this isn't really relevant for me right now with everything that's going on. I wish you were talking about something else today. I understand that. But I also want to throw out a challenge today that if justice doesn't seem relevant to you right now, or if it doesn't seem like something you're that interested in, then you're probably not a victim of injustice. You know, if uh, you don't find this a relevant topic, if this doesn't stand out to you at the moment, that's probably because you haven't experienced or aren't experiencing the sting of injustice in your own life, which means that in some way you live with an amount of privilege. And then I want to say the scriptures speak to you in a different way about how you engage in justice. From your position of comfort, the scriptures call to you to steward your life, to steward the privilege that you have for the sake of the weak, the vulnerable, the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. This message today on the gospel and justice is for all of us, no matter where you are in the spectrum of life. And I do just want to say, if this message strikes a chord with you at all today, I do want to recommend this book by Tim Keller called Generous Justice. It's something that's influenced and shaped me over the last couple of years and has definitely influenced this sermon today too. So our passage this morning is found in Micah chapter 6. It's a passage, if you've been in the church for a while, I'm pretty sure you will have heard before. And this is a passage that I learned when I first joined in the church through singing. Um, I don't know if you guys are going to know the song. I managed to find it on YouTube. I am not going to sing it for you. But Maranatha had a good old 70s version of this. So when, when I read through this verse, I want you to picture like a 70s musical vibe, tambourine in the background, and maybe worst of all, kind of a male part with a female echo going on. It's, it's really not a good song. 
But this is how I learned this verse, and I'm so grateful about that, because this is a really significant and important verse in Scripture. And at the same time, as I've sung this many, many times, sadly, I've got to be honest and say, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this passage. So this morning, my goal really is to preach that sermon and just to unpack this for us. So Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, as I was preparing for today, different commentators have different things to say about this passage, but they all uphold this as a very significant verse. One said, this is the quintessence of the commandments as the prophets understood them. Another said, this is the finest summary of the content of practical religion to be found in the Old Testament. And my personal favorite, One wrote, the rabbis who commented on this verse in the early centuries of the Christian era called it a one-line summary of the whole law. When we come to Micah 6 verse 8, we've got a summary of how God wants us to live. So what is this verse saying to us this morning? Well, the term mercy here is the Hebrew word chesed, which means God's unconditional grace and compassion. And the word for justice is the Hebrew word mishpat, which we're going to spend more time talking about just in a little bit. And in Micah 6 verse 8, mishpat puts the emphasis on our action to act justly or to do justice, while chesed or loving mercy puts the emphasis on the attitude or motive behind our action. So we act justly or we do mercy out of a deep motive of mercy, grace and compassion. And that's really important because we can do the one without the other. I'm sure you've actually noticed this already because we can do justice without this gospel motive of grace and compassion. And often what that leads to in our culture today is self-righteousness. You know, us shaming people who don't do what we do. It can look like judgment and cancel culture, which we see all over social media at the moment. And it can look like us ticking the boxes of what we think righteousness looks like in the cultural sphere and then looking down on the people who don't tick the same boxes that we tick. That would be doing justice without a motive of grace and mercy and love. But on the other hand, we can love mercy without ever putting it into action. You know, a love without action is false love. You know, love has to translate into doing something, whether that be prayer or whether that be service, whether that be giving money or whether that be getting in your car and driving to the other side of town to help someone in need, even when it inconveniences you and even when it doesn't suit your needs. Because love without action is dead. We need both. We need to do justice out of a motive of loving mercy and kindness. But the last thing we see there is that we're also called to walk humbly with our God. Now, to walk means to live in a certain way. So to walk humbly could be translated to walk carefully with our God or to be faithful to God or to be careful to live the way that our God wants us to live. And what struck me as I was preparing for today is that Jesus himself has got Micah 6 verse 8 in his mind. At a time when he's speaking to religious leaders who he could often be quite hard on, you know, Jesus challenged the hypocritical Pharisees and religious leaders of his day because they didn't practice what they preached and they were self-righteous people. So he could be quite scathing of their self-righteous religion. And he looks them in the eyes and says to them, woe to you 
scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay or you tithe a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. He's saying you are so careful about your tithing, doing righteousness, giving to God, giving to the church, that even in terms of the different grains of salt or grains of rice or spices you have, you make sure that you give at least one tenth. And yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Micah 6 verse 8. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Here Jesus is regarding justice, mercy, and faithfulness, or walking humbly with God as the more important matters of the law. So for you and I today, if we want to walk with God humbly, we must do justice out of merciful love. So with that in mind, as a bit of a primer, a bit of an intro, a bit of a call of what we are called to do, what is biblical justice? And that's an important thing, defining biblical justice as opposed to other views of justice, because there are so many ideas and worldviews and ideologies and philosophies around justice at this time. And for each one of us as followers of Jesus, we have to learn to come at things from a biblical point of view. We have to learn not just to accept all of the messages that our culture is sending our way, because it's very easy to just absorb them, internalize them, and be shaped by them. But we need a biblical lens through which we look at our world and through which we look at issues. We need a biblical framework for understanding the world around us. And we need to filter and process the information that is coming at us through a biblical grid. So that's what I want to help us to do to look at biblical justice today. And when we talk about justice, probably a more Western way of thinking about justice is in legal terms. But the Hebrew understanding that we are looking at today in Micah 6 saw justice with this vision of beautiful order coming into all of life. For the uh, Jewish people, justice was personal. It was relational. It was social. It was global. It was even cosmic. And the Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, that I've mentioned already, occurs more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And it talks about two main ideas. The first is about treating people equitably or fairly or impartially. And that means regardless of their race or their gender or their socioeconomic status, or regardless of whether they can add value to your life or not. And the other side of this biblical understanding of justice means to bring order to the world around us. It's kind of what we spoke about two weeks ago with the cultural mandate. Actually, that we would live to see the world around us flourish in the way God had intended it to. That's justice. So maybe one last quote. What is justice? Cornell West says, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. Justice isn't just just a small, niche, obscure, little um, concept in the scriptures. Justice is at the heart of the biblical vision of the kingdom of God because God is a just king. And we see the Old Testament prophets calling people back to the ways of God and speaking about this again and again and again. Let me show you a few examples. Psalm 9 verse 7, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. Isaiah 61 verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. Zechariah 7 verse 9 to 10, This is what the Lord Almighty says, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. In Isaiah 1 verse 16 to 17, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, 
cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. So what we see here is that justice is God's agenda in our world, and that he has called us, he's commanded us, and he's invited us to join him in the work of doing justice in a a broken world that is marred by evil and sin. Now, if you were to look up every one of the places that that word mishpat, the the Hebrew word for justice, is found in the Old Testament, what you would see is that several classes of people come up again and again and again in those verses, and that we are called to fight for the cause or the care of those groups of people. And those people would be the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. We've seen that actually in Zechariah 7 verse 10 already. These people that have been called the, the quartet of the vulnerable. And what has struck me as I've prepared for today is how God identifies with and relates to those groups of people. In Psalm 68, he is called the father of the fatherless. In Isaiah 54, he's called the husband of the widow. In Psalm 140, he is called the provider for the poor. And in Psalm 146, he is called the refuge for the immigrant. That is our God. He cares about the oppressed. And more than that, when we look at Jesus' life, We see that he was born fatherless, that he was born into a poor family, that he immediately in his life became an immigrant, and that eventually he was likely the son of a widow. So what we see in the Old Testament is that God identifies with the marginalized, but in the New Testament, God comes down and becomes one of them. If you have been affected by injustice in your life, or maybe you're currently going through an injustice, I want you to know that God can identify with you, not just because he knows everything, but because he has been oppressed. God can identify with your suffering because he has experienced injustice and because he has been treated unjustly. God gets it. God can empathize. God can understand your situation. And ultimately, we see not just in Jesus' life, but in his death, the way he stood for justice in a really public and shocking way. You see, on the cross, Jesus brought about justice, not by punishing the wicked. And there is coming one day a punishment for the wicked, for evil and injustice that has been done in our world and the people through whom that comes. But Jesus doesn't come to bring justice by punishing the wicked on the cross, but instead by taking their place, by taking our place. On the cross, the one who was righteous and just died for those who were wicked and cruel. On the cross, the judge Uh, was judged for those. On the cross, the just died for the unjust. And we might look at that and think, why, God, why would you do that? Why would you allow that to happen? And it's because God loves us so much that when we were unjust, when we were unrighteous, he came to make us just and righteous. And when we we see this, when we, we understand the justice of the cross, it has to change us. It has to mark us. It has to change how we I respond to the injustice we see in the world. You see, the gospel is creating a people, the the church, the people of God, disciples who seek justice and mercy because the gospel gives us new eyes to see the people around us in our neighborhood and city in the way that God does with deep love. And at the same time, the gospel gives us a new heart with a new motive and a new love to be involved in the work that God is doing in our world. Tim Keller writes it this way. He says, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is grateful for God's grace, but in his heart, he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, 
and reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced, and at worst he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. And really what Keller is saying to all of us here this morning is that uh, we do not do justice to earn God's love. You know, I think a lot of people outside of the church think that, you know. They look at Christians doing justice, doing good works, serving others, serving the poor, and they think, oh, of course, you do good things to get in the good books of God so that you go to the good place when you die. I think a lot of people think that way. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that Christians do justice because we have experienced the justice of God. We do justice towards others because we have experienced his grace for ourselves. And that is what motivates us. You know, we have seen Jesus's life of justice and we've seen his death on the cross in our place for our sins to make us just and righteous before God. And once we've experienced that and seen that, how can we not respond with justice to those around us? Doing justice for the Christian is not about earning God's love or earning a place in heaven. It's actually about responding to what God is doing in the world and what he's already done in our lives. And for the Christian, what motivates us to do this is not guilt. It's not a sense of duty to do the right thing. And it's not this fear, you know, that we might be on the wrong side of what is popular on social media or in culture at this time. What motivates us is the beauty of grace, the the justice of Jesus that we have seen and experienced when we were the people who were vulnerable in our sin, when we were oppressed, when we were broken, when, when we were in need, Jesus reached out to us with his justice. Harbor City, to any of you watching today, I want to say we are not saved or made right before God by what we do, and we are not saved by doing justice well. It's not just people who do justice well that God loves or go to heaven one day. But the grace of God that saves us changes us from the inside out to care about the people around us and to care about the things that God cares about. So in light of all of that this morning, what should we do? I just want to be honest with you, not that I haven't been honest all morning, but just from my point of view, talking about these things often overwhelms me. And I have a tendency to want to turn a blind eye to the injustice in our city and in our world just because it feels so overwhelming, it feels so much, and I know some of you feel the same way. If you are feeling busy and overextended, if you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, and this morning I'm speaking about doing justice, and you're like, oh, another thing to do, and it's so hard, you know. If you read the news, you've seen the the realities of gender-based violence and sexism in our society, the economic inequality and poverty that's all around us, racism, xenophobia, and then sex trafficking, modern-day slavery, and the list goes on and on and on. And we could talk about many of those issues, and they're all complex issues that do not have simple solutions. And we're being called into doing justice during a global pandemic when we're all wrestling with uncertainty and the unknown of the future as it is. Honestly, the brokenness and injustice of the world around us is enough to make us feel heavy and me personally to feel sick in my stomach often because things are not the way they should be. Durban is not the way it should be. Our world is not the way that it should be. And if you feel that way or when you feel that way, the scriptures tell us that we should come to God in prayer. One of the books I've been studying during lockdown is the book of Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk, depending on who you listen to or how you pronounce it. But in Habakkuk um, 1 verse 2, this prophet comes before God in prayer and says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? 
or cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Habakkuk was a man who was living in a time where he was surrounded by injustice and brokenness. He saw the things I'm speaking about in his day all around him and he couldn't understand it and he couldn't bear it anymore. So he came to God and you know why he came to God and spoke to him in this way? Because he was sick of seeing injustice and because he knew that God cared. Habakkuk knew what God was like. He knew that God was a just judge. He knew that God was a good king. He knew that God cared about the quartet of the vulnerable, these groups of people. He knew that God hated injustice. And he came to God to say, why? I don't understand, God, why you seemingly aren't doing anything about this. I don't understand your timeline, God. Please, would you show me? But what I love about Habakkuk, and I want to encourage you with today, is that when he saw the injustice around him, And when he saw the brokenness and need of his world, he didn't turn away from God and leave. He didn't turn away from the church and leave. He didn't say, why is God not doing more? Why is the church not doing more? Why does this exist in our world? He came to God in prayer and he engaged in a faith-filled protest. He wrestled with God over these issues in his heart and God spoke to him and they could go forward together. And I want to encourage us that we should do the same. If you are feeling those things that I spoke about, come to God and lament. Pour out the sick feeling in your stomach, the heaviness you feel. Pour out the injustice you've experienced. Pour out your questions and confusion before God in prayer, but bring it to him. And then do what Habakkuk did. Cry out to God, the just judge who you know does care. Cry out to him to bring justice in our time. We want to start with prayer. What else can we practically do to do justice? I know for some of you, you're further down this journey than others. And for some of you, this might seem basic. But where you're at, there's a few things that you can put in place in your life from today to grow in this area. The first is the one that I think is so key. And it is to listen. One of the most dignifying things we can do with people is to listen to their story and to acknowledge their experience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a very famous German theologian, and he called this the ministry of listening. Now, if I can throw out a challenge this morning, I think that too many Christians have too much to say. We think we've got all of the answers and we think we understand. So we speak more than we listen. And I know this is so cheesy, but a lot of people have said we've got two ears and one mouth. So we do more listening than we do talking. James 1 verse 19, Jesus' own brother says this. He says that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. So if you want to respond to Micah 6 verse 8, if you want to do justice, then probably the best place that you can start is by listening to stories of injustice. What about asking a foreign national about their experience living in South Africa? We've got a number of those guys living or in our community. On top of that, what about speaking to a single mom about her experience, being in her position, what her life is like? What about discussing race with someone who has a different skin color and has a different experience to you? If I can just say from my experience, doing this has changed my life. You know, I grew up as a white South African living in an affluent suburb. Um, I grew up in a two-parent home in an upper middle class home. And that was the world that I knew. You know, I, I didn't know anything else. As I've grown up, I've gotten to go into different spaces and spend time with different people and hear different stories and experiences, and it has changed my life and shaped me in a profound way. And for every one of us watching this, whether you feel like you are strong in the area of justice or not, we all have different origin stories. We all have different biases. We all have different blind spots. We all have different experiences. And every single one of us have got 
things that we don't know, we don't know. So as we empathize and enter into people's stories, as we listen to people sharing these stories, we grow in understanding and we grow in empathy. The second thing we can do is we can learn. In our pursuit of justice, we're really only going to advance as far as our empathy takes us. And sympathy is a good thing. Sympathy is actually caring for those who are hurting or experiencing injustice. But empathy is caring enough to enter into someone else's pain and story. Empathy is trying to understand what someone is going through from their perspective. And uh, really, that's why we have to be informed as we engage in the work of justice, that we can understand, that we can empathize, that we can meet people where we're at, and that we're actually meeting the real needs, not just the felt needs of people. So read good books, watch documentaries, have conversations, listen to podcasts, ask questions, and never stop learning. Thirdly, we need to do something. What about speaking? After we have listened and learned, we need to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Proverbs 31 verse 8 to 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, as I've said in the series, as we like talk about a vision for a renewed Durban and ultimately a renewed world, most of us are not going to be given a platform where we are shaping citywide policy or national policy or are put on a global platform or scale where we can speak to our world. But that's okay. Every single one of us have got a voice in the places that we are at to speak up and to speak into situations. Whether that's in a one-on-one conversation or around a dinner table or at a briar, whether that is in the office or when someone makes a bit of a, a prejudice or inappropriate joke, or when, as I've experienced so many times, people assume because of your race that you share the same viewpoint or the same racist thoughts that they might have, we have an opportunity to speak. And lastly, act. Proverbs 21 verse 3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. In other words, God isn't pleased with our religious affection and our religious performance if that doesn't translate or overflow into lives of justice. Each one of us after today needs to prayerfully consider what it is that God is asking us to do or what doing justice looks like for us. And that could be in some small everyday ways that you make adjustments to your life. Or for some of you, that could be in life-changing, job-reshaping ways where we change the course of our lives to respond to the call of God. But I want to ask you today, how does this message inconvenience you? How does this inconvenience your time and your money and your energy? How does this inconvenience your home and your office life, your conversations and your relationships? What does Micah 6 verse 8 say to you? Because he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Let me pray for us this morning, Harvest City. Jesus, we come to you all in need of your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with compassion, grace, and mercy. And Holy Spirit, that you would press on our hearts to step out to do justice and to do the things that you are calling us to do. We pray that you would change us as a church to be a church that does justice and engages in gospel renewal in our city. And I pray for every person listening to this this morning and for those who aren't, 
Lord, that you would make clear to us specifically in our lives with the gifts and talents we've got, with the spheres of influence we have, how would you have us engage in doing justice? We love you, Lord, and as we go into this week, we pray for your grace and for your leading and for your empowering to be these kinds of people we ask because we can't do it without you, Lord. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and to empower us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a city. Have a good day. Go well. Bless you guys hugely.